Well, if you go after people who don't really want what you're offering, it's going to be like you will always be trying to convince them otherwise. And that's mm-hmm. hard, mm-hmm. not impossible, just very, very hard. Usually leads to long sales processes, a lot of negotiating on price, a lot of people doubting, can you really help them? Is this worth it? And, and so on. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you go after people who are the right quote unquote, right people, then a lot of that goes naturally away because they naturally see that, hey, you're offering me something I really want. It doesn't mean they automatically buy, but at least they are, they're in a very different position compared to, like in comparison to the people who don't even really want what you're offering. Leaders Business Lab is for you, the business owner, entrepreneur, the expert in your field who wants to be seen and heard as the influential thought leader in your industry. My name is Samantha Riley and I've been building and growing businesses for over 26 years and I've learned there are three key areas to your success, your mindset, your talents and the people you surround yourself with. Each week, I interview successful entrepreneurs and deep dive to discover the exact strategies that they've used to build their business so that you can experiment and implement these strategies in your business too. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, Peter. It's so great to have you joining me here today. Great to be here. Glad and we could make this work out with the time difference. <laughs> absolutely. Exactly what I was about to say, because we're here in Australia and the sun has not come up yet. I've never done an interview this early. And you're, t- well, tell everyone where you are. I'm in Finland. So the sun has set a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I thank you so much for joining us. And you're definitely my first expert that has come in from Finland. So welcome to the show. Thank you. I'd love you to share with our listeners what it is you do and the kinds of people that you work with. Well, I do many things, but really the one thing that I focus on the most is messaging and more specifically creating that initial immediate feeling of that's for me, like what it is that you need to say or do in your marketing so that your target customers really instantly get that feeling of like, I'm so lucky to have found this, like, please let this work out as well as I think it's going to be like, everyone has had that feeling about some products or services, but very few people actually like consciously construct a situation where their target customers would get that feeling about their own product or service. So that's really what I focus on. I do copywriting and and like marketing strategy and such, but like that's, that's the one thing that I focus on most. As for who I work with, well, more than half of my clients are other marketing experts, but aside from them, it's really all over the place. And that's exactly how I like it. Like it's everything from like decades old artisan jewelry shops to like Target customers are CEOs of eight and nine figure businesses. And like, I mean, everything in between from life coaches to personal coaching and consulting, like, I mean, everything. I just, I like having the variety and and like the things that I really focus on. There's a lot of difference in how you apply the things, but the principles are the same. So it's, it's fun to see how to apply them in different places. I love that you say that you love the variety because I think as experts and creatives, that's something that comes up a lot. People say, oh, I don't want to niche because I don't want to be bored. But you're a great example that you can niche, but still not be bored, but just, you know, serving different types of clients. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I have a very specific target customer, but 
I don't define it the same way as you're supposed to <laughs> define <laughs> target customers. So the usual way of doing it. And I rarely suggest my clients do the same either because the typical way of defining a target customer is mostly based on buying advertising space. Uh-huh. That's how the, the traditional way was developed. Like people needed to know, well, what magazine do we put our ads on? Or what TV show do we advertise in? And it was like, well, if we're advertising to 40-year-olds, old women, housewives, it's a different show than if we're like, I mean, you get the idea. That's the traditional idea of a target customer. But now with online marketing, especially, you're looking for certain kinds of people. You're not looking for a certain gender or age group or often even occupation. You're looking for people who have a business or the business ha- is a certain size or, or so on. So it's, there's a lot of difference and, and it's more the perspective of the target customer that matters, not so much their company size or industry or such in many cases. Awesome. So you are an absolute expert at messaging and positioning. And I think that this is a problem that so many people struggle to articulate. You know, what makes them stand out and what makes people want to buy? And I understand that they're two different things, but I'd love you to start out with in regards to our positioning and our messaging for our personal brand, what is it that we want to be conveying that, it, you know, I understand it's not like a sales page is making people want to buy. It's attracting the right people into our world. So what can you share about that? How do we go down that path of understanding what to share around our brand? Well, on a slightly high level, there's two things that need to happen for people to want to buy from you. One is that they need to think that what you're offering them is going is something they truly truly want not just something they value but something they actually want like desire it not just say that yes it is valuable those are two very different things and the other thing is they need to believe that your option is the best for them if we start breaking that down the most obvious question and the most important question is or not necessarily the most important but the most revealing question usually is what is the pain that's most frustrating most painful for them that they believe you can solve so it's not about what is the most valuable outcome it's not about what will they tell their friends they bought your thing for it's what is the pain that they are most pained by that they think they're going to be able to alleviate that like 95% 99% of the time that's the thing that you need to figure out and when you do then if you really only do one thing if you manage to make them understand that you can solve that problem you're golden like you're you're way above the average in your industry uh, and you're like you're half like you're halfway there to the sales with just that one thing if you can nail that one so that's where i would start that's where i usually sort of start with clients we though look at a lot of the perspective of the target customer and so on in other ways as well. But like, that's really the key thing. If you can nail it down, then that's a big, big step forward. But yeah, like what people usually get wrong with it is that they start thinking of it from their own perspective as in, well, I have this product or I have this service. And once people go through it, they will get these marvelous things and their life is going to be this great thing. They look great and they feel great and they have a lot of money and free time and whatever it is that you help people with. But that's not really what spurs people into action. Sometimes, yes, but it's really the 1% of the time or so. In almost all cases, people are just that much more motivated to actually take action to solve a problem, to solve a pain. 
The only exception, which doesn't really come up with consultants all that often, but give people immediate pleasure, then you can sort of focus on that. But I mean, even like emotional eaters or people who buy a fancy car on a whim, they do that because there's a pain underneath that they're masking, not really because they would get great feelings from doing that thing. So once you understand what it is, what's the pain underneath what you're solving or what benefits you're giving people, that's, you're very far. Awesome. So can you give us a specific example of the difference between a value and a want? I'm fairly often called by, and I have no idea why, but for some reason, I get these calls once or twice a month that some random investment company, like investment advice company is calling me and saying like, hey, how much can you invest? (laughs) We're going to be like, they're offering me investment advice, basically. I can objectively say that it would probably be valuable to me, but I don't want it. I'm not interested (laughs) enough to take the time to do that. And so hence, I can see that, okay, the value of it could be thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, whatever. Like it can be very valuable. It can be a hundred times more valuable than what they they would charge me for it. Mm -hmm. But I don't want it. I'm not that interested in investing like that. So Mm -hmm. that's a very like extreme example of it. But even if we look at something that we're buying, maybe I should come up with some ready (laughs) example for this, but like even if we buy some product or, or let's say we buy a service, you can see that further outcome. Once you've gone through the whole process, you have some magnificent outcome usually. Or you can think of your own clients that right now, before they start, they have problems. And once they are through your program, they have these magnificent outcomes. Those great outcomes are valuable. What people want is to get rid of the problems they have now. Sure, they also want those outcomes, but they're less motivated to get there or to take action to get there. They're more motivated by the immediate pain or Mm. alleviating the immediate pain. But yeah, the investment advice is sort of an extreme example, but the same thing plays out in most things. Sometimes they're the same. If you have a toothache, you want to get the toothache away. And that's also the value of the service is that the doctor will get rid of the toothache. There are cases where they are the same, but you shouldn't ever expect them to be the same because very often they're not. And and people often miss that because you're so close to your own thing and you understand the value of it so well that it's, it's hard to think that, well, if you're the dentist and someone comes in and they have like completely messed up teeth, but only one of them is hurting, then that patient is only concerned with that one teeth that's hurting. From your perspective as the dentist, you can see that there's, well, seven other problems that are going to be much bigger and you're going to solve those as well. And once the patient leaves, you're just wondering like, how did they value me getting rid of that one small pain now, rather than fixing those seven other problems that were going to kill him next week? Like you understand the value of things that you're selling far too well and your perspective to it is automatically different than your clients. Even if you think that you are your own target customer, you're not really because you're not buying it for yourself. Even if they're very similar people, they almost never have the same level of understanding about the topic. They almost never have the same perspective to the service you're offering. They They just don't see it the same way. That is so true. And often I say to people, it's very difficult to read the label from inside the jar you know, meaning we're so in our business and in our head. And it is, I actually, I help other people with messaging as you do, but I find it almost impossible to do it for myself. 
because you're looking at it from a different perspective and it's fantastic to be able to, you know, I always say look at it through your prospect's eyes, not through your eyes, but you still have your own perception or your own filter on it. So gosh, where do we start? How do we start to pull out those wants so that we can make people want to buy? Is there certain questions that we can ask themselves or ourselves? Is there a certain process that we can take to start to uncover what that could be? Yeah. <laughs> Probably <laughs> <the> yes. <laughs> thank, thank, thank goodness you said yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would be here if I would be saying no. I think it's, it's fairly important to first see what has to come before that. Because there are a couple of steps. Because what people usually do with marketing is that they're trying to convince people to buy something they don't really want to buy. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. That's, that's really, really hard. It's not impossible, obviously, but it's very hard. Whereas if you get the previous step sort of right, then your, your marketing is just about helping people see that they can get something they naturally want. Mm-hmm. That's a whole lot easier than convincing them to want something they don't really want. So that's a great piece of gold right there. And it's very easy to forget because almost all the marketing advice is about the tactics and how this strategy will convince people into buying hundreds of thousands of things. Like, I mean, it's, that's the like way people talk about it that like, just do this thing and people will buy and like, but should they buy? It's a question no one really asks. Like maybe you should do something before. So the first couple of steps is first realizing who are the target customers that you really should go after. Not even their perspective, just who are they? Like whose perspective are we even trying to understand? And there's obviously a lot of things that go into that, but like that's the first thing. And the the primary question that I usually ask there is like, who has the most frustrating or most painful acute pain that they can fairly easily believe you can solve? That's sort of the beginning. But anyway, that's the first thing, understanding who are we even trying to understand? So I'm just going to, before you go on, you, you say who are the customers that you should go after? What do you mean by should go after? Well, if you go after people who don't really want what you're offering, it's going to be like you will always be trying to convince them otherwise. And that's mm-hmm. hard, mm-hmm. not impossible, just very, very hard. Usually leads to long sales processes, a lot of negotiating on price, a lot of people doubting, can you really help them? Is this worth it? And, and so on. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you go after people who are the right, quote unquote, right people, then a lot of that goes naturally away because they naturally see that, hey, you're offering me something I really want. It doesn't mean they automatically buy, but at least they are, they're in a very different position compared to, like in comparison to the people who don't even really want what you're offering. Mm-hmm. They're sort of leaning in and asking like, so you do it this way. Like, how does it work? Like, tell me, like, help me understand, help me buy this thing, help me trust that I can buy this thing. Whereas the other people are leaning back with their hands in a bunch and like, just being like, well, no, like, okay, I'll, I'll let you try to convince me, but I bet you, you won't be able to do that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So who you should be going after, obviously it's not a, really a should, but it's helpful to go yeah. after people who will fairly inherently and more easily see value in what you offer. And so, yeah, two things sort of one is who out of all people have the most acute pain that you can easily solve. And out of those people who will believe that your solution is a solution for them. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, I mean, everyone here knows that their product or their service can solve a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. People don't really believe they can solve. Mm -hmm. So, it's, it's again, it's a, are you trying to convince people of something that they don't naturally believe or do you just pick people who do believe enough to want to buy? So mm. 
great distinction. Awesome. Beautiful. So so that's the first thing. Yeah. Then once you know who you're going after, then there's usually room for improvement in what you're offering. And I don't necessarily mean changing the service, but rather tweaks. Maybe it's a new guarantee. Maybe it's a different way of paying for it. Like I had one client who sells, actually he sells for very large companies, but one of the key things we did was just split up the payment so that there's a very small, or comparatively, it's still several thousand dollars, but a smallish payment upfront, and then a much bigger payment only at the end. And there's sort of a guarantee that this works, but I mean, he knows it always works. (laughs) It's only a peace of mind for the client, but it makes it much easier to sell. It makes the offer from the perspective of the target customer exactly what they want. They wouldn't want someone coming in saying, okay, pay me up front 100%. That would sound unbelievable. It would sound very dubious and, and very questionable because the promise in that case is also very, very big and sort of hard to believe because it's there's, there's stubborn people that we're going after in that case. <laughs> but, but anyway, like the, it can be these not really the service. It doesn't need to necessarily be that the service changes. It's just tweaks that make it sound like, well, that's how I wish it was sold to me. That's how I Mm -hmm. wish it was delivered to me. And the goal is to, again, make it so that we don't need to convince people to want something they don't want, but rather make our service as precisely what they want as possible so Mm -hmm. that marketing then can be just helping them see what it is. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole lot easier, again, than convincing. Yeah. So when you're talking about that and you specifically talked about the payment option, I know that there's a lot of, in coaching, we're selling something that's intangible. So we know that when we break payments down into smaller payments over a longer time period, that there's going to be more chance of not being able to collect all those funds. So how do we balance knowing that and putting terms across that the customer wants to buy. I know that's a big question, but that's a balance that we're all trying to, you know, to to stay on top of. Yeah, um, good question. And it comes up a lot. In the example that I now just gave, there's less than two weeks between those payments. Mm -hmm. And we're talking high five-figure sum overall. So it's it's a very high value service. But generally, not always, but generally I advise that always get paid for what you do upfront. Mm-hmm. so that you're never sort of like the client is never behind on payments. So if mm-hmm. they just stop paying, then you got paid for the time you put in. It's not always possible and you can't always stick to that 100%, but as much as possible, that's just the safe way to go. Just avoid the issue by making it like structuring the service so that you're getting paid for the serv- like the like all the things you've done mm-hmm. before you do them. But how I sometimes balance it for clients is to think of, okay, if you're now charging, let's say a thousand dollars, just to make this simple about mm-hmm. for something. And you're thinking of cutting that or splitting it into two payments. Again, just to make it simple, one upfront, one after people get the result that you promised them. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't need to split it in two. You can double it. So thousand upfront and another thousand once they get the result. And Mm -hmm. for a lot of people, not everyone, but if your target customers are more concerned with, do I get the result? Not so much, am I like risking a lot of money? Mm -hmm. Then they don't care that they have to pay 2000. They're much happier paying 2000 in that way than paying 100% upfront. A lot of it is just, again, well, 100% of it is their perception of it. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what they see. Mm -hmm. Obviously, never say anything that's like not true. Never mislead people and so on. But 
It doesn't matter if you think that, well, it's somehow weird that I'm doubling my prices. Well, don't double them, just increase them by 50%. So at worst, you only get paid 750 mm-hmm. instead of a thousand. Like it's just managing the risk so that the outcome is something uh, or the outcome is a service or an offer that sounds perfect for the target customer. And that still makes financial sense for you. And usually, not always, sometimes it gets really hard, but usually when you figure out what are their priorities, then you can mix them well with yours. And so that both get what they want. Sometimes you end up taking a small risk, but the risk is balanced by getting more clients because it's much easier to sell. Mm -hmm. Or you might even get paid the same or more and you still have happier clients. Generally speaking, get paid enough to justify the work you do before you do it. It's usually, I mean, again, there's, there's always exceptions, but usually it's just not worth the risk of thinking, well, no, up, no money up front, you pay me once, once it's done. Yeah. And again, my one of the most successful offers ever was one of the first I made, which was that I was writing sales pages for other marketing professionals, people who had large lists, a lot of traffic, and very good existing sales pages. Mm-hmm. And I offered, don't pay me anything. Just test my version against yours. I take a percentage of the increase in sales. If, I, if mine doesn't beat yours, which is already very good, because obviously they hire very good people, then I don't get paid. I almost always got paid. And much more than I could have ever convinced them to pay me if mm. I was, well, here's that, just to pay me to write a new A-B test version. Like, that's not going to happen. But it was early, early days of my this career. It, it made perfect sense for me to sort of work for free because there was a very high likelihood in my mind. Maybe I was a little cocky <laughs> to think so. <laughs> it proved to be right. But there was a very high likelihood that I will get paid and that that price is so high that even if one out of five I don't win, that's fine because I I got paid far more than I could otherwise expect to get paid for the same work. Great. So in changing that offer, apart from payment terms and guarantees, is there anything else that we need to think about when we're looking at that offer? A hundred things, yes. <laughs> um, but it's, it's not a specific list. It's mm-hmm. about the target customer, understanding their concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, one question that I often ask is, what would need to change so that they could never even really, they, they could never say an objection X. Like they could never say that, well, I don't have time for it. Or they could never say, I don't think it works. Or they could never say my team won't be able to do this or whatever is the objection that comes up. What would need to change about the service or the the offer so that they couldn't say that without feeling like idiots? If they're saying, I don't think I have the time for that, then one potential doesn't always work. But one potential option is that you do all the work for them. Mm -hmm. If you do all the work for them, they can't say, I don't have time for this without feeling like idiots, because it's not going to take any of their time. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it doesn't always work, but Mm -hmm. just think through that list. What would need to change so that they couldn't really say the objection anymore without feeling like they're like just losing their minds Mm -hmm. because it just doesn't make any sense to say it. And often there's a hundred different solutions to each. Well, not a hundred, but let's say five different solutions (laughs) to each. (laughs) I like a hundred better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sometimes there is, but Uh generally speaking, once you go through a couple or three or four or five, like you find one that is like, oh, 
yes, that's, that's it. And it can be very, very small. It's been, well, sometimes it is the guarantee. Let's just tweak the wording. Like I've, I've done this with actually some experts. They had somehow never thought of this. Let's change their guarantee from 100% money back guarantee to if you don't get 10x your investment back, 100% money back guarantee. Mm -hmm. It's the same for them, but it sounds a whole lot better for the clients who are specifically looking for high value back. They are not interested in these cases. They were not looking for doubling or tripling. They were looking for something that instantly gives them a very high ROI. So just say that that's the guarantee. It can be very, very different things. Sometimes it is, let's just add one one one-on-one call into the beginning of a group coaching program. Mm -hmm. And that makes all the difference to some people. Mm -hmm. Or let's add one to the beginning and one to the middle and one to the end of a year-long coaching program. And and suddenly people are like, yeah, no, this is perfect for me. Like it, it can be very different things. Sometimes it's just add one bonus. I've had cases where adding a bonus that doesn't really have like objectively from the seller's perspective, it doesn't make any sense to have the, that bonus there. It doesn't help people achieve the main goal, but the people are worried about that something. They're mm-hmm. worried about whether it is time. Let's, okay, let's make a bonus that helps them figure out how to manage their time better. It does help them, but it's not really even related to the topic of social media or healthy eating or whatever is the topic. So it's their perspective, just understanding what is their concern and what would need to change so that they would just feel like, no, someone like me just made this for me. Like this is, I'm so lucky to have found this. Like everyone has had that feeling. You sort of know what it is to find something Mm -hmm. that feels like it's, it's just right. And you just wish that it is as perfect as it looks like and just build it. (laughs) Once you've chosen the target customers the right way and you really understand their perspective, you can do that. Obviously, not all of them are going to feel that way. That's not the idea. You can't handle, you can't manage to make 100% of any group of people think the same way. But it doesn't have to happen 100% of the time. You just need to get more of those people to buy. And, and you get to help a lot happier people, people who are much more eager to buy, much more eager to go through the, the whole process and much happier with the results at the same time. So I really like that when you're putting that, the foundation of really understanding who you're speaking to and making sure that you're really speaking to what it is that they want. Once we've got that clear, how do we then move that onto the, or how do we create the sales page so that they, you know, they really want to buy? Because these are only parts of making sure they want to buy, right? Yeah, those are, I I think these are the ingredients. So the the three ingredients, one is the target customer, the other is the offer, and the third is what do you actually say? What is the message that makes people understand what it is you're offering them, makes them see that it is exactly what they want. And that's what I used to call value proposition, but value proposition has such, it has like a thousand different meanings and Mm -hmm. all of them are impractical for some reason. And I was like, no, no, it's it's a very practical thing. And people come to me like, no, it's not really. (laughs) Anyway, now I don't call it value proposition really anymore because of that. I I call it the core value message. Anyway, There's still a few steps to it. One is getting more clear understanding of the target customer's perspective to the whole thing. You, you need some of it already before so that you can make the offer fit them. But there's still a lot more to understand about their expectations and worries and what do they compare you to and how do they see those comparisons and what sort of experiences they have before that they're going to reflect on and what do they fear and hope for and what are they worried about and so on. There's a long list. And the point is to understand just once they are told something, what is it that they 
like how is it that they're going to see? What are all the things that are going to be potentially poked at? So one example I often use is that if you're a custom software de- development company, you might be thinking that, okay, we're going to be, our headline is that our software development is on time and on budget. Like that's what everyone wants. They want software development that is on time and on budget. And that's true. That's basically a brilliant promise. But anyone who has ever bought custom software development will think that that's <laughs> Shit, because I was going to say, that's I would straight away go, that's a lie. It never comes yeah. on time. <laughs> yeah. So you basically had a good promise, something people want in a headline, and the reaction is, yeah, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not going to trust these guys ever. So you need to understand the expectations so that you can avoid all those things, but also a lot less extreme versions of it. But then once you understand their perspective a little more, then we go into the benefits. What are really the motivators? Benefits is actually not the quite right word. It's the motivators more so, because it is what are the problems we solve that are most desirable? What are overall the outcomes all along the way that are most most motivating, most desirable for them, not most valuable, not the things they're necessarily going to use if they seek approval for the project from their board of directors or their spouse, but rather what are the things they really, really want? <laughs> this is actually sometimes rather funny when you work with corporate people because there can be a complete like discrepancy, what we're saying to the actual decision maker who we're targeting and what we tell them to tell their bosses to get the project approved. Because it can be I completely <laughs> yeah. Both are perfectly valid things, but it's different people. They value different things. They get, they both get what they want. But if we told the decision maker, the stuff, like try to convince them to be interested based on what the board is interested in, they wouldn't like notice anything because it just doesn't, it's not relevant. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the motivators is one thing. Then I already sort of referred to the competitors, but it's more the comparisons. So mm-hmm. example I often use is life coaching or a therapist. What are therapists competitors? It's not just therapists. It's even talking to friends is a comparison oh, because a lot of people think, well, do I need a therapist? Well, I can just go whine to my friends and they're going to make like pat my back and like tell me it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's not very helpful, honestly, <laughs> but that's a viable alternative for, for a lot of people. And a therapist is general, like in actually competition with friends. Uh So whatever you sell, you almost always have these indirect competitors uh, that that you probably wouldn't think of as competitors, Uh but they are comparisons. They are things that you or your offer or your service are compared to. It can even be something like an Excel sheet. So if you sell any sort of financial help or a lot of like, if, if your companies are at all bigger companies, Uh, sorry, if your customers are bigger companies, in most cases, they have some sort of an Excel sheet doing what you're promising to do for them. Mm -hmm. So you're competing against that damn Excel sheet that everyone knows doesn't really work, but it works just well enough that people can stick with it. So you're competing against that. You're competing against all these things that you really shouldn't be, but again, your perspective doesn't matter. It's the target customer. And they might like, okay, they almost never list out those options. If you ask them, what are your alternatives? They probably don't even think of them. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. most of the time they don't they don't like notice thinking of them but then when they go to talk with each other about it they're like yeah well we have the excel sheet let's just stick to it or i heard of this other way of dealing with this we could go with that like people somehow they're so used to thinking of competitors as the only comparisons until mm-hmm. they are forced to actually make the comparison in their own like decision and, so. and are you saying to use these comparisons and just call them straight out so for the therapist on her sales page to just be saying you know you could go and and talk with your friends how do we as people that are writing our sales pages deal with those comparisons it depends on what is the like how do the uh, target customers see the comparisons Mm -hmm. so if the let's say the therapist is working like targeting like i have one client now who targets super high achievers i mean mostly millionaires very very well-known people in in america like she's not really a therapist what what she's selling is let's say life coaching it's the general industry is life coaching she could probably say that she could even go out and say like well she actually does go and say that well you could get these medications here's what they will do to you do you want that no you you can't like you're gonna ruin your career with that shit so mm-hmm. how about this other thing no that's also shit and this is why like she can go and do that because that's the target customer's perception they sort of know all the options are bad for them that's their language they're like no but <laughs> I need this thing, but it's really bad for me. And they even call it shit. Hence, that's the word that she could use in marketing because that's the perspective the target customers have. So as for how you actually talk, it's about joining the conversation the target customer already has in their own mind, preferably in their subconscious, but at least on the conscious level. How are they talking about it to themselves or maybe to their closest friends, but generally in their own head? Mm -hmm. So if they're thinking of a comparison point, um, like a therapist thinking of like, or someone thinking of hiring a therapist is also thinking of talking to friends, in certain cases, yes, the therapist could go out and say directly that, well, you can go and talk to your friends. How has that worked for you before? Did it actually solve your problems? If it did, great. You have wonderful friends. They they should be probably therapists because usually people don't do that. I, on the other hand, I sort of know how the mind works. I'm you could call me a mind mechanic, and and that's like that's what I do. I mean, it depends on the target customer, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. whatever they think. But the most important thing is to understand how do the target customers think of the comparisons. So if they already think that talking with friends is not really an option, that changes how you talk about those friends very drastically. Uh, if they do think that friends are a great solution, you need to address it very differently. Mm. If, if someone believes that talking to their friends is a great solution, they won't listen to you after you tell them that their friends suck at talking or <laughs> suck at talking. Like, no, that, that just doesn't work. You have to understand their perspective to it again. And you can help them see the reality of it. Sure. And that's sort of your job to help people do something better. Like that's why we sell things. That's why we're consultants or coaches. We try to help people do something better. Yeah. But you have to understand their current idea first and then merge with that or merge with that conversation because otherwise almost no one listens. Mm. It's very, very rare. People exist who are like that, but very few people like a direct challenge to their worldview, whatever it is, whether it's 
the general worldview of their like major political ideas or religion or anything like that, or the tiniest things. If you tell people that, well, liquid sugar is probably the worst thing you can do to your GI tract. If people don't know anything about what is even a GI tract, let alone why would mm. liquid sugar be any worse than not liquid sugar, then you're probably already lost them. Or if yeah. they think that fat is the thing that makes you fat, like eating fat is the worst thing, then like if you directly contradict it, many people will just be, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Because I, I heard of this study that proves this otherwise. So it's, it's very hard to go against people's beliefs directly. Mm -hmm. you, can, you have to first sort of make them understand that you understand them and you know yeah. them. You're, you're on their side in this battle against whatever problem they have. And then you can start to show them, well, this is how it works. And by the way, here's the person who made this, this false idea spread in the world or whatever. Like, show them an enemy that, that they can throw stones at and people like you. <laughs> That's one of the things, one of the fastest ways to get people to like you is to throw stones at their enemies. But first, you need to give them that. But anyway, again, it is their perspective. It depends entirely on, on the situation. So. Sorry, lots of examples, but no, no definitive list to go through. <laughs> the examples are really good because it helps us to understand and to visualize the concepts. Because these concepts, you know, when you're working on your messaging and positioning, they're very etheric. You know, they're not here. And sometimes they can be very hard to understand. And what I was going to ask is you were talking about, you know, people calling BS on things. You know, one of the examples you used was the software developer that says, you know, he delivers on time and on budget. And obviously the first thing we all do is go, ah, and we're already switched off and we've moved on. So I understand that we don't want to lead with those things. We want to bring those things further down into the conversation. But do you recommend that we even call them out? Like, I know what you're probably thinking, that this isn't true. Like, are we actually calling those things out to people? Often, yes. Let's say like 80% of the time you do call them out somehow. And mm -hmm. out of those 80%, maybe half the time you do it directly. And the other mm -hmm. half the time you just sort of slip it in and change, like correct people's mis misunderstandings without really even pointing them out directly. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, but then there is the like 50% of when you just go directly at it, like the software developer could start with a headline that says, we 100% gar guarantee software on time and on budget. If it doesn't work or is one day late, you get all your money back doubled try to say no to that offer. Yeah, like, I was going to say that's a no-brainer. Yeah, exactly. And that's what you're leading. Like, that's the goal. The guarantees are often like, they're sort of the easy example. That's why they come up all the time. But they're not by any means the only way to do that. It really, really just depends on the situation. But yeah, like very often you can somehow call out the, the idea. Like, one of the examples probably most people here are familiar with is webinars. Mm -hmm. The assumption now, especially marketing-related webinars, the assumption is that there's like 30 minutes of the guy just talking about their own story of how they became an entrepreneur. And then there's like 20 minutes of some sort of content that doesn't really help people do anything. And it's very hard to understand. And it's obviously super high level. There's nothing like it, it doesn't really help. And then there's like 40 minutes of hard selling, like just... <laughs> beating you into submission to buy the thing that supposedly it's going to change your life. Mm -hmm. That's the expectation. So I would often mention not as a headline, but somewhere on a registration page, I would put testimonials of people who have watched my webinars. Mm -hmm. And they're more like, well, the most common one is that that was more practically valuable than my three-year MBA program. Mm -hmm. Like 
that's a common thing people say. So I put those there because I know the expectation. I know the expectation, especially from people who haven't seen my marketing before. They don't know that I do actually go to the practical things because I don't understand the non-practical stuff. That's just <laughs> not really useful. I, I, I just don't know how to do that. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe I should learn, but I don't no, know. No, no, anyway. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like people who don't know me already, I, I mean, I have to assume they have that expectation about a webinar. If it's mm-hmm. marketing webinar by someone online, which then fits me, of course, they're going to expect it to be useless. It's going mm-hmm. to, they expect it to be infuriating because that's the expectation or that's the experience they have. Truthfully, that's probably not all the webinars they've seen. It's probably that maybe half of them were really bad or maybe just 20% were very bad. But people remember those 20% because they left really pissed. (laughs) Whereas the the other 70% or 80% of the time they were just like, well, that was good. And that, or maybe they bought the product and then they were happy about the product, but they forgot the webinar. So whether it is true or not, for some people, I'm sure it is true. They've just been unlucky and seen terrible webinars, but whether it's true or not that all marketing webinars are bad, isn't really the point. It's do they think it's bad or do they think that's the case? And if they do, then calling it out directly probably works better. Of course, I can just hope that they take the risk, even if I don't call it out. But it, it really depends on the situation. I haven't A-B tested it, so can't say. I've A-B tested with or without the testimonials, and there was a big difference in favor of testimonials in that case. But in a different context, maybe it wouldn't work the same way. Maybe in an advertisement, you shouldn't mention it. I, I haven't tested all those things. It's worth at least trying, calling it out super directly, like being a little too provocative just to see what happens. Just contain it somehow so that you don't like ruin everything if, if it goes wrong. Like don't put it on your homepage, big headline at first. <laughs> try it with an ad or try it with an email to a small sub-segment of your email list or, or something mm. where you can sort of see what the reactions because mm. it's sometimes very surprising. Um, yeah, and that's a really great point because, and that's what the, you know, the Thought Leaders Business Lab's all about is that there's never a black and white. In business, there is... Most of business is gray. Even when something works, it might work in a different way to the way that it works for you and me and the next person. And there's, you know, 20, 30, 50, sometimes 100 different ways that you can do the one thing. And none of them are right or wrong. It's just different tweaks that we're making depending on who we are, the way that we talk, the way that our customers and clients experience it. So, you know, to understand that everything is an experiment and you do need to try it is a really great, you know, a really great point that I wanted to touch on because it's so important to understand. Yeah. People very often assume that if they see someone else do something in their industry, then it should work for them. But the industry, I mean, sure, it's an indication that it might be worth considering, but it's definitely not an indication that this will work for you. It, it just shows that if it works for them in their exact situation with exa- exactly their targeting and their reputation and their product or service, it works for them. You can learn something from it, but far too often people just think that, well, in our industry, this is how we do things. And then they wonder why they're not making progress and why all their friends in the industry are also not making progress because they're all copying that one guy who got great results with something that just happened to work for him because of something. So it's like very often people just go with the flow thinking that, well, that's how everyone's doing it. So so I should do it. Look at how many people spend all their time on social media advertising or social media marketing overall. 
-hmm. Very few people are getting a return on it. Everyone sort of knows it, but they just think that the solution is to do more of it. Doesn't really help if it isn't working in the first well, place. If like, it's not working in the first place, it just yeah. means that you're spending more money, right? <laughs> yeah, especially with advertising. But even mm -hmm. the more organic social media people often think that once you reach some critical point, then it starts working. And there is a hint of truth to that. That's why it is so, so obnoxiously <laughs> contagious idea. There is a hint of truth to it, but people don't usually realize just how high that critical point is. It's generally, exceptions exist again, but it's usually not hundreds of people or thousands of people or even tens of thousands of people. The critical mass often starts at hundreds of thousands of followers. Not always. There are plenty of ex exceptions, but a lot of people don't realize that. And then they go into it thinking, well, it takes me a couple months to get 5,000 followers or whatever. They're like, yeah, great. But it, you're still like only 5% of the way to the point where you might start seeing results mm. or where you can sort of start to expect it to be positive return on your time investment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Not that you couldn't get some results. You probably do, but... Are they worth the effort? Maybe, but you, if you would have spent that same time and energy on something else, you probably would have gotten 10 times the results. So mm. it, it's a huge opportunity cost in general. But yeah, what works for one person in one situation might work for you, but it might also not make any sense for you. Yeah, so it's all about testing and measuring. So just covering back, we need to know who our customers are and who you should go after. Looking at the offer, things like payment terms and guarantees, making sure that we're th doing things or talking about things that people want, not so much what they value and getting very clear on the core value message. Is any extra little tips that you can give to really make sure that, that we can create something that people really, or create a structure that people really can say, I have to have that. Well, one more step to the process, just to bring it to the end and, and make it actually practical. So once you understand the comparisons and how your target customers view them, then you can figure out what makes them think yours is better or different. Because it doesn't matter if, if you say that, well, you have extraordinarily large feet. People could, <laughs> could agree that it's unusual, but it's meaningless. So it has to be meaningful difference. People, like from our perspective, doesn't matter. Like if we're selling something and we know that how we do something is clearly and meaningfully different, doesn't matter. If your target customers don't also get it, if they don't understand that, if they don't naturally see it as meaningful difference, then it doesn't make a difference. You can tell it, but it's sort of wasted time because... It's not helping. Mm -hmm. So once you understand how they see the comparisons, then you can start to look at what makes what would make them see yours as a different option and a better option. Um, and then once you have that, then you can combine those with the most desirable outcomes or the motivators into the actual message and, and make sure those top most effective things really come through. But one thing that often sort of helps people figure out or, or makes this more practical is to think of, well, how could you get someone? I mean, I'm not into networking. I've gone to one networking event, thought I even went there thinking this is probably going to be terrible, but I, <laughs> I should do this once just so I know how bad it is. And uh -huh. like, absolute waste of time. But anyway, if you are in a networking event, just as an example, what would be less than 10 words you could say to make your target customer basically drop their glass, push everyone aside and be like, tell me more. <laughs> and I love how that. I would do that. And like, I like to exaggerate just to make the point, because if you do it right, that will happen. That mm. will sometimes happen. That the right person is like, finally, someone is telling me this is possible. 
and really like obviously if they're a little tipsy they might actually push people aside <laughs> for the dramatic <laughs> effect but the point stands that if you only have a few words what would it be and the most simple way not the only way but the most simple way that i usually tell people to at least start thinking of it is to point out one of the motivators as in i i help people get this thing this motivator this motivating thing they can get uh, it can be get rid of this pain or solve this problem or get this outcome, however it is in your case. And then mention one of the differentiators. One thing that makes it instantly like this is just different. This is obviously an, an, an unusual way to do it. So that once the target customer hears it, they, they've been told they can get something they desperately want. Mm -hmm. And there's something that's clearly better than what they've gotten elsewhere or what they knew is even possible. Mm -hmm. They might not believe you. That's a different sort of different question. If it's too good to be true, they, they're not going to be listening more. They're just going to like discount you as a scam artist. But assuming you don't go that far, which usually isn't a, too much of a concern, then if you just get those two things into one sentence, you're golden in most situations. Like that's that's something you can build a lot of things around. It's yeah. not the best thing you can have, but it's a very good start. It's not the whole core value message by any means, but it's a very good practical thing because you can use a very similar thing on a homepage, very similar thing in most of your marketing it, as the sort of the thing you dance around in emails or blog posts or videos or webinars or whatever you do. So if you just get those things into one sentence, that's great. If you can somehow also describe the person you're helping, like somehow describe the target customer in a way that's meaningful for them. Again, I don't care if you know that the most important thing is that they have 217 employees. Mm -hmm. I don't care. If they don't think that's the key mm -hmm. thing, then it's not the thing. If they think that the reason why everything else has failed them is that there hasn't been on-site training for their team on something, mm -hmm. then tell that he helped, like you help people get this result by coming to their like company and, and teaching the team how to do it mm. or whatever it is like figure out what would get their attention but yeah that's that's just sort of one one small application of it but it's if you only get that done that's great that's really great i can hear that going deep into all of these things is really going to make a difference i can already you know as you were going through the examples i can see how valuable this is for people and we don't need the fancy tactics and all of the fancy things to be able to really get back to basics and understand you know who our customers are what they need from us to be able to make a decision to buy, really get in their heads and essentially understand them and speak to them. And, you know, it, it's actually quite simple. It's not easy, but it's very, very simple. Well, there are quite a few questions to go through. So in that sense... That's why I said it's not simple. easy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it is, it's not easy, but it is rather simple. There are just two things that need to happen. If they believe that you, you're offering them something they desperately want and it is the best option for them, then almost every time they will buy. Mm. If those two things happen, they will buy. So it's, yeah. it, it is in that sense very, very simple. Um, but yeah, as you said, the tactics are not really the thing. Like no one will ever buy from you because you use Facebook ads well. Like no one's going to come and say, oh, I bought your service because you use Facebook ads so brilliantly well. Or, or like, <laughs> I, I mean, I couldn't help but get your consulting because that funnel you built is so, like, it's so well optimized and the segmentation is, I mean, no one's going to say any of that stuff. Um, 
It's sort of like if you see ads for a kitchen knife. The ad lets you imagine that once you get that fancy kitchen knife, you'll be a great chef. Uh-huh. But seriously, if you don't have the right ingredients and know how to use them, that knife isn't going to help you. And the knife is like a tactic or a tool in marketing world. You can have the best kitchen appliances and make food no one's going to eat. Or you can have, I mean, I just saw a video of some fancy barista making brilliant coffee with a sock as the filter. Like, I mean, if you know what you're doing, (laughs) the the tools don't matter so much as long as you have just basic tools. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Peter, it's been great for you to dive deep with us and help us really understand that today. For people that want to know more about you, where can they go to find you? Uh, well, my website, petersandine.com, uh, Sand E-E-N is the last name. And of course, we'll pop all of those links in the show notes as we always do. Peter, it's been so fantastic to hear you sharing your genius with us today. And I so appreciate you. And I appreciate you staying up late to chat with us. <laughs> no worries. Glad to be here. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. But before we go, have you joined us in the Thought Leaders Business Lab community on Facebook? If not, jump over there right now and connect with other entrepreneurs who are also building and scaling their business. See you next time in the Thought Leaders Business Lab.